Thank you. You know, this is actually my first time on the campus of Christ Church, but I feel like I know your church already because of all the connections between your church and Fuller Seminary. The Beret family, I'm sure many of you know the Beret family, especially Dave and his mom, Barbara, have been so supportive of our work at the Fuller Youth Institute. I'm guessing many of you also know Art Bamford, the grandson of your founder, Art DeCryder. Art has been our intern at the Fuller Youth Institute for the last two years. And in fact, he wrote a blog series in 2014 on families and technology that was one of our most popular blog series last year. And then lastly, I had a chance to get to know your senior pastor, Dan Meyer Moore. He's a trustee at Fuller, and he led a team of us in the fall of 2014, faculty, staff, and trustees like Dan. We had weekly phone calls, and it was a variety of opinions discussing really important strategic questions, and it was Dan's brilliance, his vision, and his competence that allowed all those threads to be woven together in, I think, a pretty beautiful bow. So I feel like I know your church already, and it's great to be here in person with you today. In fact, I feel so comfortable that I'm going to tell you a little bit about my extended family, my dad's side of the family. My dad has two brothers and two sisters, all of whom have gotten married and all of whom have kids. I'm the oldest of 15 cousins in that family. So when grandma and grandpa wanted to get us all together, there was way too many of us to fit around one table at family holidays. So grandma and grandpa came up with a very clever solution involving two tables. They created the adults table and the kids table. Yes, I see some of you have eaten at grandma and grandpa's house also. The adults table and the kids table. We've got a picture of the kids table from grandma and grandpa's house uh, circa 1982, okay? So That's my cousin Stephen on the right. Behind him is my brother Matt. To the left is my cousin Michael, largely hidden. And I love my cousin Megan's face in the left foreground. Because it's just kind of iconic of the kids' table experience. So we are eating in what Grandma and Grandpa used to call the TV room, which cracks me up that there was a room named after the television. But we ate in the TV room. Now, if you were to go down the hall and around the corner, you'd see the dining room where the adults ate. And the adults ate at a nice wooden table. What are we eating at here in this picture? Card table. The adults had pleasant conversations. Somehow at the kids' table, our conversation degenerated into roles being thrown at each other and a jello snorting contest. The adults had cloth napkins. We have no napkins. And if you take a look at one particular element of this picture, check out that padlock on the door. (laughs) Like, no matter what, don't let the kids out of the kids' table experience. Now, in this weekend, as we're dreaming about the future of Christ Church together, why are we talking about the adults' table and the kids' table? Because sadly, that's what happens in so many congregations. We have adult pastors, and we have children and student pastors. We have adult worship, and we have children and student worship. We have adult mission trips, and we have children and student mission trips. Now, there is a time and a place for 6 and 16 and 46 and 76-year-olds to be talking about specific life stage issues. But one of my life mantras is that balance is something we swing through on our way to the other extreme. 
And in our effort to offer relevant and meaningful ministry to young people, we've ended up segregating them. And that is not a verb I use lightly. Adults' table and kids' table. This is a far cry from what Jesus himself experienced as a teenager. We're going to look together at Luke 2, verses 41 through 47, to try to understand what was Jesus' experience like when it came to interacting with the faith community. Starting at verse 41. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. Now, what does that mean, according to the custom? Well, there was a, a tradition in Jewish culture at that time that right about age 12, boys experienced many of the feasts, many of the important ceremonies on their way to being what's called a son of the covenant. So this is Jesus' turn to go to the feast of the Passover as a 12-year-old boy. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. As I've been musing on this passage recently, one question comes to mind, and it's this. What kind of parents were Mary and Joseph? That Jesus could be gone for a day and they didn't even know. How could that happen? Well, in the first century, the way that groups traveled is the men would travel together, the women would travel together, the children would run back and forth. And so it was only at the end of the day that Mary had a, talk, a chance to talk to Joseph and said, wait, you don't have Jesus? And Joseph said to Mary, wait, you don't have Jesus? And they realized, oh my goodness, we left Jesus behind. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Okay, now we've got 12-year-old Jesus gone from his parents, not one day, but three days. Some more questions come to my mind. Who took care of Jesus during these three days? Who made sure Jesus had a place to sleep? And as a mom of an adolescent boy, one really important question comes to mind, and it's this. Who fed Jesus? Well, we don't know because the passage doesn't tell us explicitly, but I think we can make a very logical and accurate guess. And it is the faith community came alongside the, this boy. The faith community saw this 12-year-old without parents and thought, we are going to meet his needs. We are going to make sure he's comfortable. We're going to make sure he has some place to sleep, food, drink, etc. And they did even more than that. If we keep reading, they asked him questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. You see, friends, the faith community had relationship with this 12-year-old boy. They didn't keep him separate at a different table. They came together as one. Now, part of why we at the Fuller Youth Institute are so interested in what it means to bring the tables together is because of the sticky faith research that Dave mentioned earlier. Really good data from other studies indicates that about 50% of young people, 50% of graduating high school seniors from great families like yours and great congregations like this one drift from God and the church after they graduate. 50%. As a mom and a leader and a follower of Jesus, I'm not satisfied with that. Are you? Okay, let's try that again. 
when I think about 50% drifting, as a mom and a leader and a follower of Jesus, I'm not satisfied with that. Are you? Much better. And so that's why we received a grant from the Lilly Endowment and other foundations that allowed us to study over 500 youth group graduates during their first three years in college to try to figure out what families and churches could do to build long-term faith, or what we call sticky faith. My kids are 9, 12, and 14. Every day I parent them differently because of our sticky faith research. And when it comes to what we're talking about with these two tables, we looked at 13 different youth group participation variables. 13 things that kids do in the context of a youth group. And you'll be glad to know that so much of what's important here at Christ Church is related to faith maturity. Things like the mission event you're going to have next month. Our data shows that being involved in service and justice work is related to faith maturity. Studying scripture related to faith maturity. Spiritual and and student leadership related to faith maturity. But of all 13 variables, the one that was most related to faith maturity in both high school and college was intergenerational worship and relationships. In other words, getting all the generations around the same table. And as we have tracked with amazing congregations like Christ Church, we've learned a host of ways that churches are putting this into action, are bringing everybody around the same table, just like Jesus experienced. And we're going to highlight three of them today. The first is intergenerational worship. Intergenerational worship. There was one congregation that, that wanted to depict what it would be like to have young people more involved in intergenerational worship. So on a typical Sunday morning worship service, there was a guitarist standing at the front of the platform, an adult guitarist playing guitar. You can tell I don't play guitar, but he was playing guitar. And a young person, a teenager, came up from the congregation, walked onto the platform, tapped the adult on his shoulder. The adult handed his guitar over to the student. The adult had a seat, and the student resumed playing. There was an adult drummer on the platform also. A student came up from this side of the congregation, tapped the adult on his shoulder. The adult handed a six-sorted student, and the student resumed playing. Same thing happened with the bass player, the other guitarists, the vocalists, until it was an entirely teenage-led worship music experience. And the congregation was just loving it. And then the senior pastor got up to do his sermon. And he got about three paragraphs into his sermon when a voice from backstage yelled, If you really mean it, you got to go all the way. And a teenager came from backstage, tapped the senior pastor on his shoulder. The senior pastor had a seat in the front row, and the teenager resumed the sermon. Now, as much as I love that imagery, I'm not saying that teenagers should take over your worship every week. But I love what Christ Church is already doing to bring the generations together. I love that, that some of the young people and the children were in for the first 15 or 20 minutes of worship today. I love that you have young people who are church liturgists, who are reading scripture, who are greeting. That's phenomenal. But now let's talk about the difference between multi-generational and intergenerational worship. Multi-generational worship is when we're all in the same room together. And that's an important first step. But in multi-generational, we're sitting shoulder to shoulder. Intergenerational is when we actually get to know each other. We don't sit shoulder to shoulder. We look at each other eye to eye. And as I saw the children leave this 
gathering a few moments ago, I wondered how many of those children were greeted by adults when we had the chance to get to know each other a little bit in this worship service. Because it's one thing to have our kids in our midst, which is wonderful. But out of our research, we've seen it's not just having them in our midst. It's also getting to know their names and saying hi. And building relationships in a particularly strategic way, which is point number two, actually. It's not just about intergenerational worship. But if we want to bring everybody around the same table, if we want to build sticky faith, it's also striving for what we call a new five-to-one ratio. Now, what does that mean exactly? My friend and colleague, Chap Clark at Fuller, says a lot of brilliant things. But I think one of the most brilliant things he said recently is we need this new five-to-one ratio. What do we mean by that? As I walked by your amazing children's facility, I saw a lot of adults literally on their hands and knees interacting with some of the toddlers. And I bet if I was to ask your, your children's leaders or your youth leaders, they would say something like, well, we want one adult for every five kids. What we're saying out of our research is it's not one adult for every five kids. It's five adults for every kid. I'm not talking about five Bible study leaders. I'm not talking about five Sunday school helpers. I'm talking about five adults who, as we say in the Powell family, are on your team. Five adults who show up for your soccer games every once in a while. Five adults who come to your Girl Scout events. Five adults who come to your piano recitals. And I know this is part of what Christchurch wants even more in the future. Dave with the high school ministry, they talked about this at a summer event this last summer, a houseboat trip. Your middle school ministry here is, is thinking about, okay, how can we have three adults investing in every young person? Your children's ministry here is dreaming about small groups involving families in which parents say, hey, I'm not just here because I want my own kids to grow, but I want to be involved in other families' lives. I want to be part of that five-person team for another family in my small group. The TV show Parenthood a few years ago depicted what this team of adults who come around a young person might look like. We're going to watch about a three-minute clip together, and all you need to know about this show is Victor, who's about 13 in this clip, Victor is getting ready to be adopted into the Braverman family. Come in. Oh, hi, Runner. We have, uh, hi, we have... Uh, yes, yes, come on in. Braverman. Great. All right, yes, I... There's actually this is salsa. He's a lizard. This will take a while. Uh, That's a good idea. Just, uh, okay, all right. Come on in. Come in, please. Come in. Okay. Close the door. Okay, everyone, please. Hello, everyone, please. All right, welcome. Thank you. All right, uh, so Joel and Julia Graham. Yes. Yeah, hi. So now you understand that by signing this adoption agreement form, you agree to... Uh, take care of Victor as your own legal child, right, to provide for his health, his welfare, his educational needs? We do. Yes, Your Honor. Okay. Victor, do you understand? Do you agree to this adoption? Yeah. Okay, then. <laughs> All right, well, then, unless anyone has anything to add, I'm ready to make it official. <clears throat> your Honor, if I may. As grandparents, my wife, Camille, and myself will do the best we can to, uh, to give Victor what we've given our own children, which is our undying love and support. And also, being a baseball aficionado, uh, I would like to teach him the art of fielding the hot grounder. Okay. But hey, that can wait till later. And... Uh, Your Honor, I'm sorry, if, if I may, I'm Adam Braverman. I'm Zeke and Camille's oldest son, and I promise to be your uncle. Listen, your, your Aunt Christine and I are no substitute for your stellar parents. 
but we promise to be there for you no matter what. You can always come to me, Victor, if you need help, and I promise I won't rat you out to your mom. I can give you dating advice. Oh, and I can help repair the terrible damage that her dating advice what? does. Okay. I, I, I'm willing to teach you how to ride a motorcycle and play an instrument. Oh, your girl troubles will vanish immediately <laughs> once you know those two things. Yeah. And you can come to my house anytime. We can play Xbox, and you can sleep over into... Now that you're adopted, you can officially hold my lizards. Okay. <laughs> I promise to love you, buddy. Yeah. No matter what. Me too. Okay. Okay. It's quite a family you're coming into. All right, on this date, January 24, 2013, Joel and Julia Graham have officially adopted Victor Graham. You're now legally their child. You have all the rights of any natural child. Okay. I will hereby sign this order confirming the adoption. All right. I want that for my family. I want that for my church in Pasadena. And I want that for Christ Church and your families too and the children in this community. A couple things I love about that clip. Number one, the adults offered what they knew. The adults offered who they were. We aren't saying you need to go be somebody you're not. We're saying offer whatever you have to a young person, whether that's your love of baseball, whether that's your dating advice, whatever it might be. And then secondly, what we've seen in our research is that when adults invest in young people, not only are the young people changed, but so are the adults. We saw this in Luke 2, that the people who spent time with Jesus were transformed. Now, granted, that was Jesus. But I bet if I had a chance to talk to each of you, you could tell me about a young person, a neighbor, a niece, a nephew, a grandchild, a child, a kid from this church who somehow shaped you and impacted you. What I love about this dream of bringing the generations all together is that we really mean all the generations. There's one group, and there are many of you here today, with amazing untapped potential to invest in young people. And it's this group, if we can show the slide, please. Senior adults, you have a special role in the lives of young people. There's just a tenderness between senior adults and teenagers. I wish I had a more researchy word for it, but I don't. I was speaking about sticky faith um, in Iowa, and a woman came up to me afterwards, and she had to be in her 80s. And she said, well, here's what I do to try to build relationships with the young people in our church. When high school graduation happens, I get the names and addresses of every high school graduate. And I write them all letters. And I tell them they don't have to write me back, and most of them don't. But when I see them at Thanksgiving or Christmas, 
after they've graduated and maybe moved on to college, military, the workforce, and they come back to our church, when I see them Thanksgiving or Christmas, they say how much my letters mean to them. And I thought, this is amazing that this woman in her 80s has on her own decided to write every youth group graduate one letter when they graduate. So the next day I was speaking in the same town in Iowa. And I thought, I'm going to tell the story of this woman that I met the night before. So I told the story about this woman who, who writes one letter at the start of every fall to every youth group graduate. And a man sitting kind of in the middle of the room interrupted me, raised his hand and said, actually, I was here last night and I saw who you were speaking to. She doesn't write just one letter at the start of every fall. She writes these graduates every week. That's a person who's saying, I'm going to build sticky faith. I'm going to invest in other generations. And I know it's happening here at Christ Church. I heard from your children's ministry team this amazing story about a five-year-old. We'll call her Kimberly. Five-year-old, she has some learning disabilities. She has been part of your special needs ministry here. And because of her challenges in communicating, she needed an adult to be with her every weekend worship service that she was here. And so four senior adult women said, hey, we'll be her buddy one week a month. And so they went to Sunday school with her, each of them, one week a month. They were her buddy. Her family ended up having to move recently, and these four women came together, and they created this book for Kimberly with pictures and scripture verses and art they had done. And that book meant so much to Kimberly. What a gift these women gave Kimberly, but I would say what a gift Kimberly gave these women too. Because they had the chance to be involved in another generation. I'm going to tell you one last story that for me encapsulates what we're talking about with sticky faith and bringing people together around the same table. After I was speaking about sticky faith once, a woman came up to me and she was about my age. So, you know, kind of her young mid-40s. She came up to me and she said, you know, my friend heard about sticky faith. And intergenerational relationships in five to one two years ago. And so my friend decided, hey, I want to build this team of adults around our three teenage sons. And so she and her husband went to each of their three sons and said, hey, who are five adults that you look up to that you'd like to get a little, to know a little bit more? And each teenager named five men. And so two years ago, this woman and her husband went to those 15 men and said, hey, will you invest in our son? Will you be on their team? Will you help build sticky faith? And each of the 15 men said yes. Well, it took about a year for that team to get kind of coalesced. And and so that was about a year ago, which was right about the time that this amazing mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And now it is those 15 men who are praying with this family, who are walking with this family. And should the Lord choose not to physically heal her, it's these 15 men who are going to be part of these boys' journeys for a lifetime. And I thought, i got to meet this woman. i got to talk to this woman. So I tracked her down. I spent some time with her on the phone. And she said, she told me more about how she tried to create this team around her sons. But then she said this, you know what? I don't just want sticky faith for my boys. I want sticky faith for the children in our neighborhood. So there are some days where my chemotherapy just wears me out. But on those days when I feel okay, I open the front door of our house. And the families, the adults, and the children in our neighborhood, they know that when our front door is open, I'm feeling well enough 
and they can come on in and our house will be a safe place. I love this vision of this mom who's thinking not only about the children she knows well, but she's thinking about the children in her community. And as I have prayed for this weekend, I have prayed for the children that are part of this church already, as well as the children in this community, geographically, that God would love for us to build relationship with. So let's close in prayer together. I thank you, Lord, for the amazing heritage here at Christ Church for 50 fantastic years. I thank you for the young people who've already been impacted by the adults in this community as well as by your grace and love. I pray for the young people who are part of this church right now that they would beat the odds of 50% drifting. I pray also for, for every adult in this congregation that you would show us what baby step or even large leap you want us to take to invest in young people a little bit more. It's only by your grace and strength that we can do this, Jesus. And we ask this in your name. Amen.